Every day, 34 people in their 20s and 30s are diagnosed with cancer. On the 7th of July 2015, I was one of the 34. On the 28th of August 2008, I was one of the 34. These are the stories of what happens afterwards. This is Afterthoughts. Hello. Hi, Alice. Um, how are you? I, I'm well, thank you. I'm well because I feel warmed, warmed by the uh, recording session that we have just done with Ryan. Wasn't it a great one? <clears throat> yes, and what a way <laughs> to finish uh, Series 3 of Afterthoughts. What a way to finish Series 3 indeed. Um, so great and so many just... Ugh, just well like like his storytelling is just epic and he really brings something that oh, I'm just so excited for everybody to get to listen to what uh yeah what's going on with him me too but before we talk about well before we get into Ryan's story oh, yeah. you have a little story and I would like you to tell the listeners your little story you want me to give you a little, little okay um well um Alice I can tell you that um last Sunday I did something I've never done before Yes. It was something that has been um, booked in for nearly, I mean, nine months now. I took the plunge. A long time. Said I was going to do it, put the deposit down. um, And wonderfully, I have um, had it done uh, a week before I wanted to have it done. um, Because on Sunday, I got my first and probably probably will be my only. I don't think it will be your only. Anyway. um, I got my first tattoo. Welcome to the club. Yes. Um, I have uh, decided to uh, get a tattoo of um, something uh, that is kind of looking back on the fact I am next Saturday, so the 1st of May, not really knowing my dates of when anything happened, as we've discussed before. Um, is I've picked the 1st of May as a particular day that is my 10-year anniversary. Um, of being post-treatment. So um, I decided to wanted to do something. I don't normally do it, but I feel like the afterthoughts kind of storytellers have kind of um, made me want to do something after all, hearing all these stories. So tell the listeners what your tattoo is. Oh, uh, yeah. So I uh, have on my uh, right arm looking towards me, um, I have myself a bee. Uh, and the bee is very close to where my pick line um, was. And it uh, there is still some remnants. You can just about see um, some uh, scar of the pick line. But uh, I have a tiny drop of blood, as um, listeners know. I had uh, blood cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the B, uh, for me, is uh, yeah, kind of a link to the past, but also to the future. And also, as a side thing as well, one of my favourite songs by The National uh, is Blood Buzz Ohio. So it's kind of all wrapped into one, Alice. It's perfect. And I just think, like, I know you booked it in nine months ago and we've been talking about it for a while. Yeah. Um, But I just think it's kind of perfect that you got it now rather than nine months ago. So it can heal up in time for the fact of next week I'm going to see my parents and they do not know I've got it. It's all right. They'll get over it very, very quickly. They will be very quickly. I've, I've really built up the 10 years thing. So when I go, yeah, and look, I got this to show I was alive or I'm alive, <laughs> not <Okay>. was alive. <laughs> 
they can't argue with you if it's a can they can't argue with you if it's a cancer related thing nice. my mum once said that tattoos are for dirty girls and i got i've got one two three four five one two three i've got four You've got four, but a fifth and one of them is massive. So, oh. yeah. um, but that's I mean, that's that's my story, Alice. But we are here to uh, give the platform over to Ryan and, and Ryan. I stories. can't wait. Hello, Toby Peach. Hi, Alice May Perkis. How are you today? I am very well. Um, I'm very glad because the sun is shining um, and I am really excited today because we are joined by the brilliant, fantastic Ryan Brovin. Ryan, how are you? All right. I'm very well, thank you. Love to be here. Now, should I call you Ryan Brovin or should I call you Ryan Govin? Uh, call me Ryan Brovin. That's my professional name and my married name, even though it isn't official with the government. Oh, it's not I have, official with the government. I have heard, um, Ryan, about this. Can you explain what, why are you not, not Govin anymore, but you are Brovin? So this is when I got married in 2019 and I uh, got married to mine and Alice's uh, mutual friend, uh, Katie, uh, and her, her surname was Brennan. My surname was Govin. And Katie didn't particularly want to take my name. I didn't want to take hers. And yet we wanted the same surname. So it was a weird convolution there. So basically we decided to smush them together and then officially become Brovin. So we've always called ourselves uh, ourselves Team Brovin. Um, so we just decided to make it official. However, what I will say is that whereas normally when a woman takes a man's surname, it's just automatically done after the wedding. Once you get married, that's basically all the paperwork done. Their name changes automatically. Whereas if both of you were to change your surnames, there's a whole different process which takes lots of forms and you have to pay a lot of money to do it. So we have the forms. We just haven't done anything else towards that. So mm. even though unofficially my name is Brovin, officially my name is Govin. Um, yeah, and that's what we take here at Afterthoughts. We're very official. So uh... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For tax See, purposes. I, tax purposes, I yeah. I thought that the, the woman had to do a lot of paperwork because the reason I gave for... The official reason I gave for not taking my husband's name when we got married was that I didn't want to do all of the paperwork, when in fact... It was primarily feminism, and secondarily, um, Alice Newman is clearly a ninety-year-old woman. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think I know quite a few uh, Alice Newmans who are—I'm going to say close to death. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for joining us, Mister Brovin. Thank uh, you. We are thrilled to have you here. Um, shall we roll into some quick-fire questions? Let's do it. Okay. Um, Ryan, first question. What are the pronouns that you use, please? I use uh, he slash him. Thank you. Who do people say you look like? Uh, the, the one I get most often is uh, Bill from Guess Who. <laughs> <laughs> because of the old ginger beard slash bald head. I mean, it's, like, it's so accurate. Yeah. I mean, I'm not particularly happy about it, but I, that's why I wear the glasses. Uh, just to get away from that comparison. I'm really sorry that I just laughed in your face, but that is so good. <laughs> it's all right. I'm not going to walk or anything. It's fine. <laughs> Ryan, uh, what's, what film defines your childhood? 
Oh, film defines my childhood. Um, that is a tough one. I'm going to say any of the Tim Burton Batman films. I was obsessed with Batman when I was younger uh, and had all the toys. I had a Batcave and the Batplane and everything. Uh, and it was primarily due to actually Batman Returns, the one with Danny DeVito as the Penguin. Uh, that was like my big, that was my jam when I was younger. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, who is your hero? Oh, another good one. My hero is probably... I mean, I could say something mushy and say, like, my mum, because she is amazing. Uh, But I'm going to say, apart from that, maybe... Michael Palin? I'm going to say Michael Palin, because he is insanely funny, and yet he's also branched out and done some really good educational travel programmes and things. And also, he's renowned as being the nicest man in show business. And that is a good reputation to have. Um, we've already discussed names quite a lot, but Ryan, do you have any nicknames and what's your favourite? Uh, a lot of people presume to call me Rai Rai. <laughs> I, and I don't know where this comes from, but on separate occasions, the people who have no idea who they are, like, you know, they have no connection, they have all decided to call me Rai Rai. And it's not something I, I encourage or have suggested <laughs> to them. Apparently, I just come across as a Rai Rai for some reason. Uh, I, yeah, I can't, I can't, yeah, I can see it. I can see I the Rai Rai. <laughs> I can see the Rai Rai. Yeah, I don't know why. Men, women, everyone. Rai Rai for some reason. If you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Oh, I've recently got into, quite heavily into Steely Dan. So I'm going to say it would be the song Kid Charlemagne by Steely Dan. It's quite left field, but my God, it's a banger. Fantastic, I love that. Roller coasters, love them or hate them? Absolutely love them. <laughs> love I wasn't sure where them. you were going. I wasn't sure which direction. Exactly. Well, I used to be terrified and I was quite, uh, you know, timorous. Tem- uh, I was quite a timorous child. Uh, and But then I went to Florida and went on the Hulk in Universal Studios. And, oh my God, it changed my life. And I've loved them ever <laughs> since. I've loved them ever since. So good. Um, the big question of the series. What is your favourite way to eat a potato? Very good question. I'm going to have to say pommes frites. <laughs> because to have them with some moule marinière is the peak of human existence. <laughs> Um, um, pom frites with moules marinier sounds great. And yeah. last, last one, Ryan. Could you give us a one-line synopsis of the diagnosis that you had, please? Uh, I had a, a tumor on the pineal gland uh, in the centre of my brain. that we often hear when we're talking about cancer is the diagnosis one and often for the patient it becomes really perfunctory and it's the story that we tell again and again and again so with um this first section of afterthoughts we want to hear a story beyond that diagnosis so ryan i'm going to hand over to you so that you can tell us a story beyond your diagnosis thank you uh, yeah um it was a bit strange with my diagnosis day because i uh, 
got diagnosed and then immediately had to go in for brain surgery to uh, relieve the pressure in my head. So what had happened was I, uh, when they discovered my tumor, it was actually sat on top of my spinal cord and was blocking the flow of uh, brain fluid down my spine. And it's a, you know, a normal circulatory system there. Um, and this had all been stopped by this big tumor. So what they had to do was uh, make an incision behind my eyes uh, to give the, uh, the fluid another you know, route to go down. Um, so it was all quite uh, frantic that day when I got told that I had a tumor. Uh, because then I was also immediately told that I had to go in for brain surgery that evening. Um, so aside from all the telling relatives and, you know, making sure that all the important people knew, I was also preparing to go into brain surgery for the first time. So um, it all went by in a bit of a blur. Um, I mean, following that operation, I felt like a million dollars because all of my symptoms went away. My headaches, you know, my blurred vision, everything was totally solved by this first operation, um, even though the tumour was still there, it was still growing, um, it didn't matter because that brain fluid could all just flow a different way and therefore I had no more symptoms. So I went to the Edinburgh Festival, I went to you know the theatre, I saw friends and family and stuff, still looked exactly the same, everything was fantabidose. And then I had to you know, go in for uh, chats about my further uh, operation which was going to be nine hours long I was to remove the tumor and then to have chemotherapy and radiotherapy I had to go into cancer wards and speak to doctors and I just remember finding it incredibly shocking to see so many young people in one place suffering from cancer and all the various, uh, you know, some people had a leg missing, you know, a lot of people didn't have any hair or eyebrows or were bed bound. And that was really quite, uh, you know, cold water to the face moment. Um, because these were all people from the ages of, you know, eight to 25. Uh, people, you know, normally in the prime of their lives. And then they were all in this horrendous uh, situation. And, you know, maybe in real life, you would see one or two people with cancer in a year. This was 20 or 30 people every single day, all with different things, uh, just a whole coalesced in this one area. Um, but it didn't actually turn into quite a nice environment because you were all in the same boat. And I remember um, when I was actually in the ward, uh, we were, there was me and three other lads and we were all comparing how we, you know, the stories about how we'd got there. And I was currently winning because I had this massive scar down the back of my head and I'd just come out of brain cancer, uh, brain surgery and stuff until uh, one lad from Stoke uh, stopped me and was like, whoa, 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 you think that's bad? Have a listen to this. And he'd had testicular cancer or he had testicular cancer and uh, they'd caught it really early. So what normally happens with testicular cancer, as far as I'm aware, is they... We'll bring you in, they'll just remove the testicle that has cancer and give you a little plastic one maybe to fill the gap and then send you home, all fine and dandy, you don't have to worry about it. But because they caught his so early, they actually brought him in to operate uh, on his testicle to try and get rid of the tumour that had grown there. So they brought him in, operated and sent him home in his comfortable trousers. And then about a day, a day later, he got this almighty pain in his bollocks. So he whipped down his trousers just in time to see his testicles explode. 
I can just see Toby's face there. Uh, now, what you're thinking is what I was thinking at the time is, that can't happen. No, 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 no. Your, your bollocks just can't explode. And what had happened was his testicle had reacted so badly to the surgery that it had swollen so much that it had burst the stitches on his scrotum and essentially, and essentially they were rolling around in front of him on the couch. And I was just in total denial about this whole thing, being like, that can't be real. He can't be serious. And he said, if you don't believe me, have a look at this. And he re pulled out his phone. And instead of like calling the doctor or like screaming for help or fainting, he had taken a photo of his exploded scrotum and then showed it to me on that day. Honestly, it's something I can never unsee. So it was just one of those many things where it made me go, you know what? I'm really glad I had a brain tumor because my God, I don't think I could have stood having my scrotum explode in front of me. Oh my God. <laughs> what? Next up on Afterthoughts, we are focusing on the invisible impact, some of those experiences that might not be seen by people. Uh, so over to you, Ryan, for the invisible impact section. So, yeah, this was uh, more just the general feeling of losing three important years of my life at a vital juncture um, because I got diagnosed when I was 21. I uh, was six months away from graduating university um, when I started developing my headaches. And I, it was, I got um, diagnosed the Monday before my graduation, which was on the Thursday. So it really couldn't have been more on that, you know, stepping into adulthood and real life and going out and getting a job. And then, you know, my treatment was a year long. And then it takes me at least a couple of years just to get back on the right track where I can go out and get a job and um, so I feel like everyone else of my generation got a bit of a head start and I'm still playing catch-up now like everyone else is still three years ahead because they were all able to move to London and live this exciting life as you know early in their 20s and I was in hospital you know being pumped full of drugs and then just lying down at home somewhere trying to recover so that still rankles with me and is still on my mind a lot these days. And also, it sort of robbed me of my uh, self-esteem for a long time because it just changed me physically so much. And I don't mean like a lot of people, I didn't lose any limbs or, you know, anything that major, but my physical appearance changed. I gained so much weight you know, I was as fit as a flea at the end of university. And then I gained so much weight because of the steroids and having to lie down and not being able to do any exercise. And I lost all my hair and that never came back. Um, so it's funny. I remember it was so starkly uh, exposed to me because I remember getting my third uh, young person's rail card. Apply for one when I was about 26 or 27. Uh, so this was my third one. And I... I had to get a passport photo taken, as you always do when you have to do these things. Uh, so I did it then and there. And it was only when I uh, came back home and I was swapping them around in their little folder that, you know, your little uh, wallet you have for them. And they were in behind one another. So I got all three of them out. And it was just a total shock to look at the same guy, you know, within the space of 10 years, just 
in these three uh, photos and just how different I looked at all three of them. And I remember going into my roommate at the time and being like, look at these. Do you remember me looking like that? And he was, and he had been to university with me and he was like, yeah, you, you know, you basically, and then, no, he, even he was like, wow, they are really different. But I do remember you looking like that once upon a time. And it was just, uh, yeah, because a lot of people just go through life always looking sort of the same. Like there are people now who I run into, you know, from university or from high school and they don't recognize me at first. I'm that different to look at. And it's, you know, it's sad to think that you're almost a stranger to other people because of the experiences you've gone through uh, and how much that's changed you physically. And, you know, I was an absolute stone cold fox in university. And I'm not saying that I'm not now, but it really uh, was a bit of a kick because it, it took me a long time throughout my teenage years to grow any kind of self-confidence or self-worth. And then I got it in university and I was like, hey, you are the man on campus. And then immediately that was stripped away from me. So I had to rebuild that all again. Um, and now, of course, I'm a sex symbol, so I don't really mind. next uh, we're going to talk about those around us because even though cancer happens to an individual it happens to an abundance of people around the patient as well um, it happens to parents it happens to siblings it happens to pets in some cases it's not just the patient who is affected and we want to recognize the people who are also affected by an individual's diagnosis so Ryan we would love to hear your story about those around us so yes, yeah, so this is uh, about uh, a particular day that my mum and I experienced together, because uh, when I was due to start chemotherapy, um, my younger brother was also scheduled to fly off for his gap year on the very same day. Uh, and also, just before I had uh, to start my chemotherapy, I had to go to the fertility clinic. Uh, so we dropped my younger brother off uh, when he was 18 to go fly around the world on his own for a year. Then we went straight to the fertility clinic so I could free some sperm. And then we went straight to the uh, ward so I could be plugged into my first round of chemotherapy. So it's a heavy day already. Already we're totally, you know, in the midst of me undergoing cancer treatment uh, and then we have to go and drive my younger brother, Chris, uh, to get his <laughs> plane to New York. It's a very sad time. We don't know how my treatment is going to go or whether this is the last time I'm ever going to see my younger brother. Uh, so it was all a bit emotional. So then a hearty wank was not what I was in the mood for uh, the very next thing that day. The conversations in the car between my mother and I uh, were, were always just sort of very flippant and my mum was like are you sure you know how to do this pet I know you haven't done anything like this before you're okay wanking are you, are you sure like taking the piss out of me basically being like of course you've been a teenage boy for you know 12 years so you definitely know how to wank by now uh so she was actually already we're, we're very very close my mother and I so uh it was it was always going to be fairly easy and funny but it didn't make it any nicer when I was actually in the room doing it. So we arrived at uh, Manchester uh, University Hospital, which is incredibly swish. It's all electric doors and you book yourself in. And it's, you know, robots sweeping the floor, that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, 
the last department to be transferred from the old Victorian hospital into this new Swiss hospital was the fertility department. So we walked in and were immediately told to exit the building and go across the road into what looked like an old insane asylum. So we got in there. We could only use the service lift because the normal lifts had been uh, decommissioned. So we go in there. There were like chairs stacked up in the corner. There were ceiling tiles stacked up. It's almost totally condemned, this place, apart from the staff running the fertility clinic. So we get in there. I sign the hundreds of forms you have to sign when you're you know, doing all this kind of stuff. It takes ages. And then I'm handed my little clear cup in his, inside his little clear bag. And they show me to what is an old janitor's cupboard. It has no windows. It has no furniture in it, apart from one like examination bed and a plastic molded school chair. So they lead me in and show me to some gentlemen's magazines that are so well thumbed that they're almost falling apart at the spine just in case I want to use them. Obviously, I wasn't using them. And also, my mum had to sit in the corridor right outside the door. So she's almost like guarding the door in which her 21-year-old son is fervently wanking inside. So I get there. There's no way I'm bearing my ass to the seat or the examination table, because imagine the amount of sweaty asses that have been on there before me. So I had to stand erect, as it were, and bash myself off into this cup that's no bigger than a thimble anyway so already it's like a hairy moment and I managed to do it get it all sealed off but then put it in the clear plastic bag so there's no hiding it so then I come out and my mum sat there she's like are you all right pet and she can just see what I've been doing in there there's no denying it it was appalling but also incredibly funny and then I just hand it over to the nurses in this old abandoned hospital and we pack up in the car and go to the Christie and I'm shown into my little private room and they plug me into chemotherapy the first time. If that isn't going to bond a mother and her son, I don't know what else will. God bless that woman. And so once I got plugged in, I remember just turning to my mom and saying, and so it begins. Next up on Afterthoughts, it is the lost conversation section. This is an opportunity for us to hear a story that highlights a conversation that might not be being had. So with the public or in the cancer community, what is the conversation that we need to be hearing more about? So over to you, Ryan, for the lost conversation section. Yeah, yeah. It's something that's uh, always sort of rankled with me. It's because I went on a uh, like a post-cancer um, course where they told you know discussed how to get um this was organized by the Christie and it you know all about how to get life insurance and you know follow-up procedures and all that kind of stuff and how you you know can psychologically deal with this and you were given contact details for you know psychologists and stuff and at the very end of this week-long course um bearing in mind that there are you know 16 year old girls there who've now lost a leg or you know there were some seriously ill people there who had really suffered and had like brain damage and things like that and at the very end of the course they were asked um well the whole room was asked um for a, you know straw poll about if any of you uh, could have changed the fact that you had cancer um would any of you and i was the only person who put my hand up and i feel like 
it's it's kind of a leading question because then all the answers were well it's maybe the person i am today and you know it's you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and stuff like that and i was like yeah but you could still have two legs now if you had never gone through all of that your family could have never gone through all this kind of trauma and i feel like it's just it sort of plays into that trope of it's a battle and it hardens you and all that kind of stuff and i feel you know it's totally up to the individual but i feel like that kind of story about this is something this is like a journey we go on as opposed to this absolutely horrendous thing that you know i I think it stops us from truly facing the horror that we've gone through and being able to process that in a healthy way if all you think of it as is i battled this thing and yes it may have taken my breast or my testicle or my leg i'm the all the stronger for it and that might be true but i feel like it you know it's a bit too close to that whole oh it was a battle kind of uh, narrative yeah when the when the question was asked um if any of us would change if we'd had cancer or not um i immediately knew what i was going to say i immediately knew that cancer could fuck right off basically if i can use those words um mainly because i'd already had you know multiple heart attacks by the time i was 10 years old like i'd died in hospital and had to be revived uh, a couple of times so you know my life had already hung precariously in the balance when i was a very young lad so i already knew that life was precious and that you know i was a strong person and you know all those usual um cliches so when they asked me i felt like well no i don't i didn't need cancer to show me that life was precious and it was maybe maybe it was a shock to me just because of that because i'd already had these previous experiences but it was a shock to me because i've never even thought about those heart attacks like oh thank goodness i had those heart attacks it made me the person i am you know that had never entered into my mind i was like well why does it keep happening to me <laughs> you know why am i the one who's taken seven tablets a day and half my friends have never taken a tablet in their lives you know it's that kind of um disparity that really got my goat um so to see all these you know 18 19 20 year olds being like oh no i'm you know at the end of everything i am glad that i've had cancer i made me it made me want to say in the middle of the room what are you talking about you know you could still have your leg if you had never had cancer like surely that's better than having learned this lesson that life is precious surely you would just be like oh well life's quite nice but i've also got two legs like it, it just that that kind of disparity I could never quite get my head around because I was so pragmatic and and I still am about it. Like it is a disease. Yes, it is long and you can go on this, you know, amazing journey and meet these amazing people and very clever doctors who, you know, dedicate their lives to curing people. And that's all wonderful. But ultimately, I'd quite like a quiet life and, you know, not have to undergo agony, you know, in certain periods just to get rid of a tumor in the middle of my head. Although it did give me excellent anecdotes about testicles. That is what I will give cancer. Without cancer, I wouldn't have half as many great anecdotes. Up next on Afterthoughts, it's not your average. We like to explore some of the experiences that young adults who've had cancer have been through that young adults who haven't had cancer might not have been through. So Ryan... Let's hear your story of Not Your Average. Uh, so, yeah, this is a story that, uh, you know, 
having said all that in the last section about you know not being grateful to cancer uh this uh, is one of the things that did actually come out of it that has been a, a positive influence on my life, which is I remember once during uh, one of my longest stretches on the chemotherapy ward. Um, so I would have been on there for maybe just over a month uh, solidly in the same bed on the same ward, which was only tiny and with very little windows. Um, I was in Manchester. I was in the Christie. And it was having one of its usual incredibly heavy downpours. And I remember just being, just lying in my bed, being pumped full of drugs and looking out at the rain lashing on the roof outside and just thinking to myself, I would give anything to be stood out in that rain right now and just to feel it on my skin because it would just be a feeling uh, of being deluged in nature as it were because i'd just been inside in this hot stuffy ward feeling ill and vomiting every 30 seconds and that would have been such a refreshing and oh unbelievable feeling uh to experience and so you know fast forward to eight years later when i've started dating the woman who was about to become my wife not that she knew it yet. Uh, we were on one of our, you know, maybe our third date, and we were walking uh, to Pizza Express because we're classy. And I, uh, it was really heavily pouring down outside, and she only had this tiny umbrella. And she was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, do you want to go in this umbrella?" I was like, "No, I've never really minded the rain because when I had cancer, I've all, like I've never." not walked in the rain now if it's been raining outside i will often get up and go outside to, to feel it on my skin and she ended up telling that story at our wedding and it's got a really positive connotation now and it does always remind me that it's good to be alive and good to be able to experience the rain on your skin last on afterthoughts we have the pleasure of diving into the don't laugh uh, section or don't laugh section as there are two Northerners with us today uh, and we think at our thoughts it's so important for us to tell all different a range of stories that happen when you experience cancer and there are funny moments and so it's important to talk about these as well so Ryan so keen to hear your don't laugh laugh story so yeah this was um this occurred to me uh immediately after my big long nine-hour surgery that was uh, to remove the tumour and which is why I've got this big scar on the back of my head so uh, after the op I woke up in the intensive care unit uh, and because my eyes had been affected uh, my optic nerve had been affected by the surgery I couldn't quite see what was going on or discern where I was and I was a bit you know fuzzy headed so I decided to push myself up in the bed a little bit more to uh you know, have a good look around, where uh, when I felt a tugging, where there definitely shouldn't have been a tugging, uh, whipped off my bedclothes uh, and saw a catheter hanging out of my penis, <laughs> right? Which is not unusual in itself. That's totally fine. Uh, but I hadn't been warned that this was going to be going in while I was under. Um, so I wasn't particularly keen on it being there, especially as I'd always assumed that catheters would be like the width of a human hair, like that kind of micro technology. Whereas <laughs> actually, it's about the width of my ring finger. It's 
enormous because it has to be watertight, obviously. So it's this huge yellow tube just hanging at the end of a knob. So I immediately call over the nurse and I'm just like, uh, sorry, um, could I get this taken out? I actually need to go to the loo. And she was like, no, no, it's okay. You can just go and it'll collect, you know, in the little uh, bowl there. And I was like, no, no, um, I, you know, I've learned over 21 years not to piss the bed. I can't just let go now and piss the bed while I'm here talking to you, can I? That's mental. You're going to have to take it out. I'm, I'm basically badgered her and finally convinced her to take it out. So she starts slowly. And also, just to mention, it's not even just in the tip. It's maybe like a foot in because it goes into the bladder. I'm sure a lot of people already know this, but I did not know this at the time. So she slowly starts inching this thing out of my penis. And I and because it's something coming out of there, it feels like you're going. So I was like, oh, I'm really sorry. But just so you know, when this comes out, I'm going to piss all over you. <laughs> because I'm pissing right now. Just so you know, I don't want it to be any bad blood. And I won't be able to help it. I will be pissing all over you. And she was like, no, no, it's just a sensation of it coming out. Don't worry. And I was like, well, fill your boots, mate. But you're definitely getting covered in piss when this comes out. I'm just <laughs> saying that right now. So we're on the same page. So she's like, it's fine, fine, fine. Just slowly inching this thing out. And then someone at the other end of the ward crashes, which means, you know, alarm bells, everyone down tools or catheter in my cases, in my case, and rushes to sort of revive this person. So I'm just left there in the, totally in the nude, with this thing hanging out of me until she eventually comes back having sorted that and basically whips it out of the end of the penis right so i mean if i wasn't cross-eyed already that definitely would have done it <laughs> but i so managed to get this little cardboard thing that you're meant to pee into totter up beside my bed and then start going into it and this is when it happens because when, they've ins when they insert the catheter, they're pushing air up where air obviously does not belong. And so you, you get rid of that first. So I start peeing and my cock farts <laughs> out of the, like I fart out of the end of a penis and it feels incredible. It's one of the nicest things I've ever experienced. So much so I almost got them to put in another one just so I could have it again. It was unbelievably pleasant and it made like a big noise it was and that's that being it was amazing it was almost worth having cancer for it was that good oh, God. that is the uh story which you know you you know you see those things on social media when the people are like yeah sex is good right but dot, 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 exactly this have you ever it, had a catheter fart <laughs> it was honestly unbelievable Wow. Ryan, one of, oh, I... one of the things that was difficult about listening to that story was, one, it brought back some horrible memories. <laughs> but two, <laughs> it's about the fact that I had a banana right next to me. <laughs> the God. world's smallest banana, which is no reflection on me. Just want to say that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That. I'm, wow. Yeah. I mean, I've never had a catheter. Um and my experience would obviously be very different, but I don't want one, even if there is a <laughs> catheter fart. That's what I'm going to call it. Um, Ryan, what yeah. a <laughs> pleasure it's been to have you on Afterthoughts. Honestly, um, your stories have been fantastic. It's been so great to have you. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a joy to be here. Oh, honestly, 
you can come again. Come again. It's, it's always nice to have a captive audience. It's, <laughs> it's been so great to have you, Ryan. Thank you so much for coming on Afterthoughts. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. So, Alice, there was Ryan. Mr. Brovin. Now, you said to me that Ryan was going to bring it. And what was in... Bring it! What did um, he say in the text message to you? He said he was going to bring stories about testicles and catheters galore. And my word, did he? (laughs) He did. And he had us laughing from the get-go. And that's what I love about Ryan. Like... I mean, he's he's a hilarious man anyway, but he's he's just so great at sharing the light and the dark. Toby, please tell me what is your afterthought on today's episode of Afterthoughts? I'm I'm I was really taken by the story um, in Not Your Average uh, about feeling the rain. It really kind of, yeah, really kind of made me think about the kind of mundane brilliance of life and how, uh, yeah, the contrast when he was talking in the Lost Conversations about like, like perhaps not like the not wanting certain things that cancer has given him and then talking about that, of that appreciation of the rain. And Mm -hmm. yeah, like I I, I was really struck by sometimes we can have these big kind of epiphany moments that happen when you experience something like a trauma at Mm -hmm. a young age. Um, But also how though just sometimes it's about those little things as well it's about like remembering what it's like to be able to step outside a locked room Mm -hmm. or being able to walk in the fresh air and Oh my word! The rain story just just really really hit me. And uh, and Alice, I uh, yeah, I mean, it did bring out the first tears I've seen you. First tears in twenty one episodes. Twenty one episodes, yeah. Yeah, it was just it was just magic. And I don't know if it's because you know I know Ryan, I know Katie, his wife, and they are just they're just the most fantastic couple. I love them both very very much. But yeah, that really that just it just got me right in the feels. I just thought Mm. it was really really magic. And yeah, that really resonated with me. I've talked before about how much I love light. Um, now and how um, I have made my dad stop the car. Um, There was one time before Christmas a few years ago when me and my dad were out somewhere. We'd been to buy a Christmas tree and I I, I made him stop the car because I was like, Dad, that light is amazing. Let's get out and look at it. And he was like, what are you doing, you weirdo? And then when he got out of the car, he said to me, actually, yeah, you're you're right. That is pretty special. Um, Luke was saying about that, wasn't he, in the previous episodes. And my friend, uh, my friend Grace, she always talked to me about the sky and she had um a um had a cancer that affected her eyes Mm. and um she still has her sight but she talks so beautifully about like her appreciation of the sky Mm. and my words whenever I see and like I've worked with Grace um quite a bit so we've talked quite a lot about this and whenever I see a beautiful sky I message her straight away and I'm like look up how amazing is that sky and she does the same and it's just yeah it's those mundane things perhaps that we we sometimes might not see and that really hit me but Alice tell me what is your afterthoughts on today's episode of afterthoughts you know I wrote down one thing um when Ryan was talking about um the 
the looking at the three pictures of himself um, on those rail cards. And I thought it was so interesting that he had those three pictures at those kind of three moments. And I think a rail card is a really interesting way to mark those three moments because they do kind of come at pivotal points, right? Because you kind of, you get your rail card like what every once, once every two or three years. Um, but the, the thing that really struck me about when he was talking about that, he said, it's sad to think that you're a stranger to other people because of what you've been through. And that I thought was really interesting because I have, I really resonated with that because I have definitely become a stranger to people because of what I've been through. But I've also been a stranger to myself at times because of what I've been through. But also like, I feel like in lots of ways, when you've been through cancer, you know yourself better because of what you've been through. And even though you may be a stranger to other people, I don't know, I think there's something in, I don't, I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but I, I feel like that, that sentence just really stuck out to me as something that was really pertinent and kind of fits in with not your average as well. Mm. Um, and I just thought it was such a, a, a powerful thing for Ryan to have said, and that yeah. really stuck with me. And that was the thing with Ryan, like, like we had a lot of laughs and we really did have a lot of laughs but there was <laughs> some, and there were so many powerful things that were accompanied, yeah. which is what we've seen through all of our storytellers, yeah. this series and through the period series. So um, we will have our wrap up episode as we do every time featuring some highlights. But Alice, that's um, that's the, the, the last episode of series three. Another series in the bag. And now we have to decide which are our highlights of each of the themes we have to come to an agreement and that is a fun time so <laughs> uh, listeners thank you so much for tuning in for putting us in your ears and um, hearing Ryan's stories and we will see you very soon for the wrap up episode uh, we will see you very soon and yeah thanks for listening If today's episode of Afterthoughts has brought up any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to speak to someone about, we really recommend grabbing a cuppa with a friend or dropping them a message. There are tons of charities out there who can help you if you've been through cancer and need a bit of extra psychological support. Thanks so much to Trekstock for supporting another series of Afterthoughts. Trekstock helps young adults diagnosed with cancer to get moving again after cancer stops them in their tracks, and the work they do is incredible. Find out more at trekstock.com.